Hello, this is Matt Hale bringing you another programme, Art Monthly Talk Show on Resonance 104.4 FM. We are live and we are in the studio and there are four guests today and um, I'm joined by, well, sorry, three guests and me. I beg your pardon, I was just talking about how many seats we were having a minute ago and I got number four in my head. There are three guests and um, they are John Douglas Miller, Virginia Wiles and Morgan Quaintance. Hello all of you. Good evening. Hi. Good evening. Good. Nice to hear your voices. Um, it helps people identify who you are, hopefully. I think they'll know you're Virginia, Virginia. Um, you're going you're to talk, first of all, I think, because you've not been on the show before, and sometimes it helps, actually, to start off when you haven't. And you're going to talk about two reviews which you've written in the April issue of Art Monthly, which is number 375. So what we do on the programme is we talk to people who've written in the magazine, and they come in the studio, and we put them on the spot, but not in a tough way, but in a, in a good way. And you hopefully understand a bit more about what they've written when you read it, or if you've read it already, and you get to know the writer. Um, Virginia, you've written for Art Monthly before, haven't you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you remember when you first started... Started for Art Monthly? Yeah. Uh, God, no, I don't remember. I certainly remember when I first started writing, which was probably before you were all born. Oh, right, great. So I started with Studio International in 71. So, so, so that was Peter Townsend? Was yeah, it, yeah, Was he yeah. editor then? Yeah, Yeah, because he became editor of Art Monthly after that, didn't he? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And after that, I went on to Art Scribe. And yes, yes. correspondent in Paris. Really? Yeah, I, yeah work, anyway. I work for that magazine myself as well. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, so, I wasn't on the editorial side, though. Anyway. anyway Anyway, nice to do a little bit of reminiscing and settle in. Um, which show do you want to start with? You did um, write about Brunei Galleries, mm. Recalling the Future, Post-Revolutionary Iranian Art, and you also wrote about Jamal Penjueni. Tell me if I say these wrong, please. Yeah. Saddam is Here, which was an icon gallery. Yeah. Um, is, there, is there a link between these two shows? And why are they re both re reviewed in a way together? Mm. Well, for me, there's a link, that, a very strong political link, which, of course, I wanted to make an analogy with the area that I usually work on, which is South Asia. So right away, I felt ignorant about this area, although I've been to Iran, Persia, uh, not to Iraq, but I was really thrilled to do it. And so I plunged in, in my ignorance, and swatted up... Um, the background history, because I'm a latter-day anthropologist. I <laughs> uh, 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 anyway, from art history, I moved into anthropology. But So that was what was intriguing, and I wanted to see how they went about it. Of course, as I say at the end of the piece, to compare them is absurd, because one's a one-man solo show and simply put on, and the other one is a highly ambitious, complex show put on by four... Uh, four curators, three of which are Iranian and one English. And because of that, uh, I felt there was confusion in the Iranian show at the Brunei Gallery. But it was a, it was a bold tentative to shift the, not that we have much perspective on contemporary Iranian art, but they did, uh, they did a fairly good job. It was, let's say, complicated by the fact that there was due to be a catalogue that they didn't bring the catalogue out. Luckily, I had the text of the catalogue to help me, and that's part of the 
background to my critical approach in a way because I could see what they were trying to do to the catalogue and it just wasn't coming through. Therefore, in a way, it might have been better <laughs> to have um, gone in blind in a way. But the, uh, the, the link, of course, is the, the fact that both have been under dictatorships and they've been at war with each other. And in you, a sorry, way, just, just to clarify, when you say both, spell it out, both what? Both Iran and Iraq have had year-long uh, forms of dictatorship, which yes. I give the details of in the article. I don't really remember it by heart. No, don't, don't worry, it's fine. Anyway, um, but the interesting thing is, is what sort of content is there in reaction to that? And that content is very strong in both of them. I think particularly strong in the photographs in the Iranian show. When, of course, the other shows is absolutely photographs and video. It's not so... <clears throat> the Iranian show has some... A few interesting installation work, but I know that there is there is a really wide variety going on in Iran at the moment. Uh, Bita Fayazi is an artist I know, and I felt that uh, the choice was confused and the spatial disposition was confused, and I feel, I sense, I don't know if the others have seen this, that that might have come from the very complicated fact of having four curators. Whereas, of course, the, the Penjueni show was clear-cut and uh, simply projected and in a, 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 the space of the icon it came across very clearly. I think that's curated probably by Jonathan Watkins himself, yes. I believe. Yes. Because I think he did curate, he curated a show at the um, Venice Biennale, didn't he? Yes. Which was also... Uh, Iranian. Yes, yeah. and that Iraq. No, 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 no I got that wrong. Iraq, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Iraq, Iraq. I knew I was going to get that wrong. Morgan, yeah. as ever, well done. Thank you yeah. very much. Sorry, <laughs> oh, as soon as I said it over my mouth, I thought it's going to be wrong. And no. that's yeah. come to the South London Gallery and mm. uh, has travelled fairly well. I don't know. What do you think? Well, um, yeah, I, I, I didn't see it at Venice, uh -huh. um, and so I, I couldn't really say if it had travelled well. Uh, but I think my perception of the exhibition, I was fairly underwhelmed, really. I didn't really, um, I guess in some ways, it's a kind of touristic exhibition because Jonathan Watkins arrives in Iraq, has a look around, and then brings back what he's seen. So these are kind of, I went to Iraq and all I came back with was this bunch of artists that I'm going to show in a group <laughs> show. Which is, I mean, I don't mean to be so reductive and dismissive because it was kind of interesting. But something that the South London Gallery tends to do to work is it tends to make it look kind of boring and workaday because the space itself is kind of unremarkable. And I think this show um, suffered from that in some ways because of the, the work looked a bit ephemeral. There's a lot mm. of cardboard in it, uh, a lot of um, a seating so you could sit down and have a look at catalogues that are telling you about Iraqi art. Um, there's something that seemed a bit a little, a little bit slapdash about it, not very. So, well, you see that arrangement, yeah. that home look, was done in a palazzo on the canal in <laughs> Italy, which of course was grandiose. And I have to say slightly orientalist the whole approach the fact of welcome to iraq which is meant to be i suppose slightly ironic yeah and yet as one iraqi said to me they didn't even have it translated they only had the title in english in venice which is wow yeah i mean <clears throat> anyway so it, it does it, it has that i mean i i used to work with jonathan and he's a good guy and everything but i think that <laughs> there is that disclaimer aside <laughs> there, there is this issue of um why 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 choose a curator who has no connection to the middle east at all i like, asked that was the first question i asked yeah. and, and they said the people who 
the Iraqi foundation that backed the show said to me there are no curators in Iraq. So I then spoke to young artists, the one in particular, a friend of Fendrini, who's studying at Goldsmiths, who said there are plenty of young curators in, you know, in Kurdistan, Iraq, more. But there are. So it... it yeah, I mean, I, I've got a sneaking suspicion that it's about institutional legitimation. So it's the idea that if you have someone who's a director who's done a triennial, who's done a Sydney Biennale, I think, then the idea is that he'll be able to confer a sense of value on the on the artwork, which is a shame because in some ways... I think the idea of a professional curator is a bit of a is a bit of a joke, really. We we all know that curating arose out of a thing that wasn't a professionalisation. It's just been the institutionalisation of curation has turned it into this professionalised thing. Where in actual fact, it, it it could have been an opportunity for them to you know engage with that discourse as well, looking at what the professional curator is supposed to be. Is there such a thing as a professional eye, or maybe it's someone who just lives there and lives amongst these artists is going to have a better thing to sort of show. Um, the art world than somebody who's sort of inculturated and well-versed in the sort of institutional strictures that we want to see in a show, sort of yeah. reinforced in, in some ways. Yeah. yeah, I agree. And I feel that both shows suffered from that, from that institutionalisation. I think that it, it, would, it could have been handled better by a kind of alternative space approached by the artists themselves in both of the shows you know i think they're uh, for di various different reasons um J just for clarification the show in south london galleries and venice is the what you've just been talking yeah. about but there's also the show in the icon which was yeah. another show yeah but right? it was but, taking out it's, one artist it's, a, it's, it's okay so it's expansion of one part of it but, but yeah, one artist i got exactly. you so it's it's quite, quite strongly connected yeah. Yeah. you'd say Strongly connected, C connected to the other show. I mean, yeah. I mean the way it, way it was done. I, yeah. I had a, a quick observation, just thinking, like in some ways, some of the the artworks that are described in in the review, um, it seems to me that like it's almost through their affinity with things that we see in the West that that somehow. Well, it seems in interesting that they have an affinity with some of the works that we see in the West. So, for instance, the <coughs> one where they're holding up the pictures of uh, Saddam, when they're holding up the pictures of Saddam um, in front of their faces, there's that's something... That's one piece, yeah. Oh, that's one piece. It, it, no, it's, no, it's oh, a series. It's a series. That's it's what, yeah. one room of it, yeah. So that, that idea of the series of people repeating this gesture feels somehow to me quite similar to like a kind of Gillian wearing type thing and getting the, the audience to sort of... Um, repeat a gesture in some way that that and and, and the the culmination of this is like a series of photographs that function like um, almost like a meme or something like a kind of viral image and i feel that's kind of a quite a um quite a faddy thing to do but also this this idea of, i saw the image on the front cover of art monthly a while ago and this this issue of jumping it, it reminds me of his client as well so i don't know I, I i guess all i'm saying is like um uh you'd think that there, there'd be something slightly different coming out of these spaces and not just these things that seem similar to what we've seen do, do you think? Do you think what happens is that curators almost look for what they already know, say, like Klein and stuff? So they, when they go somewhere and they're westernised, they just find what they recognise in somewhere, even if it's not yeah. conscious. I mean, is that... I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, what do you think, uh, uh, Virginia? Well, I mean, that happens all the time on the half a part of curators. But, you know, let's face the facts. I work in Pakistan and India where the majority of the art schools and the art schools even in Iran and I Iraq have been based on English uh, and Western uh, traditions. And they've had Western art history rammed down their throat and hardly any attention <coughs> paid to their own indigenous art history. So we're ignorant about their history, but they're also 
often I mustn't say that they're not ignorant but it's certainly what's interesting is that their work is about playing with western cultural aspects and signs and signifiers mm. inevitably so we're in a, a globalized situation in the art world which must be dealt with and that's why your issue about the fusion the mixing it comes up with the book that you refer to it about where um Joslet talks about that, you that was me. Yeah. To. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I got it it's, still a, it's still a book. It's still a book <laughs> about customizing for the you know customizing a work that has a little dosage of just the right dosage of Iranness <coughs> and the right dosage of Westernness, <coughs> and that inevitably comes into curatorial game playing. <coughs> but you know, it's also an issue that is present and and negotiated by the artist because they are involved with what's gone on in the West. It's inevitable. And so they should be as well. So we should be much more with what they're doing. It's not, it's not two-way enough. Perhaps. It's not two-way enough. That's the whole business about a dialogue, exchange basis, which I yeah. find works better through I think you're right. I still... I've Just to, to, to keep going on this digression a little bit, I, I think it's not two-way enough at all as well because... Um, also, one of the most popular films of the past sort of few months has been Camille Henro's um, Gross Fatigue. And I went to a screening of uh, Camille's works at Tate and um, there was this awkward sense of um, uh, um, exoticization of people outside of the West. And I asked her a question about it, like how, um, what does she think about this tension in her work? Because she, she raised the issue of being... Um, I guess uh, uh, she, this is her words. She said that when she was filming a, a piece in <coughs> Egypt, I think, um, by a particular pyramid, she was conscious of um, putting herself in the position of, of a kind of coloniser in some ways by being a kind of white Western girl, directing people in this um, other place to do things that are contrary to what they're already doing. And um, in some ways, I found in her work there's tendency to exoticise or to use the um, non-Occidental body to, to connect to this idea of a mystic, you know, have a mystical connection to something that we in the West have lost. And um, in some ways, th there's parts of her work that, that moves away from that. But then again, at the Tate, they had a screening of films that were shown at Magician, Magician's Delatere, which also suffered from that problem. I know that was like 20 years ago, but it still seems like we've we've all got quite a partial understanding of what happens in in these sort of other places to use that absolutely term. and and a lot i mean the curator responsible for magicien de la terre is still at it mm. we will not <laughs> name him here but he's just had a show on in paris called uh, theatre de and, and it was totally about spectacularization of the other mm. in a way which you know is that's fine. I, I just we could, because you, we mentioned it. Um, you, you brought up Jocelyn. Um, I mean, we could we could slide across <laughs> seamlessly to Morgan's book review. Yeah. Um, because people will be you know tantalised to know what what you were referring to. Um, Morgan, you reviewed a book he was written called After Art. David Jocelyn, Princeton University Press. Yeah. Twenty twelve. Yeah. Okay, well, the problem with me unfolding what this book is about in a neat synopsis for you... No, I don't have to do that. It, oh, I could, thank God, because I wrote this book review nearly a year ago. Right. And although I have read it again, I read it again about four months ago. So um, maybe it might be better to sort of fire some questions at me that, that came up from your reading of, of the article or, and that I might be able to answer because uh, my own... Uh, 
intricate understanding of it has diminished somewhat since I wrote this piece. But I can try and sort of in, engage with it well, best I can well, now. Well, one thing you do do, and I yeah. won't be the only person to ask you questions, I hope, w- w- was basically say that an awful lot of academics and people try to write <coughs> and capture the new digital image world and you talk about things some of which i don't really know what they are but uh chat rooms where people chat by images for instance yeah I, uh, images I, only yeah so i guess this is one angle that came out in this that I, I also sort of try and put into anything i'm writing about um uh, the internet and, and art and people's relationship to the internet and the effects that has on contemporary art practice is this idea that somehow I think one of the big issues is this dissolution of the line between professional and non-professional. And that hasn't really been explored so much in this discourse about post-internet aesthetics and all that different stuff. But one of the ways it's interesting is that we have a lot of these, I call them like professional thinkers, people who are paid to think about stuff, basically, speculating on what's happening to the image today because of the proliferation of images online, the loss of indexicality through digital um, uh, photographs. And, um, and then I think I was saying somehow that you have these people speculating and coining these new terms and writing quite long essays about them difficult to penetrate but then online you have these people who just on chat forums and image forums who coined terms like selfie which when i wrote this wasn't as ubiquitous a term as it is now but suddenly we see it just is penetrated it's in um just normal everyday language and this is something that these sort of professional thinkers their jargon hasn't really penetrated into uh, contemporary i mean everyday usage and i think there's a reason for that the reason being that some of the theories are quite convoluted and actually not aren't really aren't really uh, that useful in some ways. Um, so with David Jocelyn, um I was basically, I guess the book was speculating, what do we do now in this era of accelerated image production? And as artists? Uh, yes, as artists, yes. So not, not really critics so much, but yeah, as artists. And he had this idea that um, it was, he was trying to sort of talk about what's this step beyond like the post medium condition so whereby artists are no longer uh, um, tied to one medium they're no longer painters or sculptors but they're moving in this sort of orbit of media and they're all pulling on different things yeah and um so one of the things that was interesting about this is he was like, well, artists are no longer kind of making artworks. They're almost like um, they're not really saying anything new. What they're doing is reconfiguring stuff we already know in a, in a way that's similar to how search engines work. Um, and I'm probably being quite reductive here, but that is the thrust of his argument, really, and that what we should uh, talk about when thinking of these is that artists are creating formats. Um, and I, I don't know, I just, I, I found the book was interesting and I, I liked it because for one, one reason that was interesting is that it was getting beyond this impasse um, of, of ben, Benjamin. People are always talking about Benjamin, loss of aura still. And you just think, oh my God, when I first read this text, I was like, oh, come on, this is like outmoded way of thinking about image, images really. And it's way back, you know, when I was reading Ways of Seeing by John Berger. And it's just like, that was quite interesting, this idea that, hey, you know, the proliferation of images might not result in, the, in somehow the um, um, power of the image being drained away but there might also be this it, it might also be different where that there's some they're being imbued with more power and I, I guess what i was saying kind of boring my my own sort of co-option my own sorry not co-option my own uh um take on this was perhaps hedging my bets in some ways because i was saying well it's both it's both things in some instances images lose power yeah absolutely if i when i went to see Guernica, totally underwhelmed i'd rather just have a poster reproduction but at the, but at the same time you know i was using this idea of um 
uh, graffiti tags and signs that was kind of similar to how I think images work online. The more you see images on the train carriage, the more you see someone's tag, the more you know who they are, the more their prestige and value increases. And I think that's what happens with viral images. And I think that's what some people are thinking about in terms of post-internet aesthetics and what the image can do. Today. Do you think artists will want to take advantage of a, of a similar, you know, because I mean, artists are interested in becoming popular. So if they are disseminating their images massively in the same way, do you think that's what they want? They, uh, uh, I, I, a similar I, popularity? I'm, I'm not sure because, I mean, some, in some ways, one of the interesting things about people who work within this post-internet aesthetics, like, um, um, area is that um, and I, uh, forgive me for saying this but sometimes I really find it hard to attribute value to a lot of what's being done because it seems quite throwaway it's like you can just log on see it it doesn't really seem to be much being said outside of a comment on the, a condition that the artist finds himself in at the moment working with the internet whereas say someone like Camille Henro comes along and does this piece of work that blows everybody away and somehow the hugeness of it seems to suck in all the discourses that are concerning us at the moment and what what and what also makes it powerful is that you can't really see it unless it's installed somewhere you can't, it's not online you can't download it illegally and so I still think even though artists might think that there's some power in having a kind of ubiquity, I feel I still feel that artwork does kind of something does happen when you can just uh, immediately access something online. It, it, it somehow it does still get dim diminished. Maybe that might just be to do with stuff that I've seen so far. So I'm not saying it can't be possible that I can see things that the <laughs> and and um, they, they they get gain more power as I see more of them. But um, yeah, what do you, what do you think? It seems like you want to say something there, John. Just, this is John. John I'm, just, uh, I'm just interested. You end the piece saying that you don't think that the the kind of critical purchase on it's going to come from within the academy. Yeah, I'm wondering if in the year since you wrote this, <laughs> something anyone's got critical purchase <laughs> on it that you've come across? No, not really. And th this is the pro you know what? It's funny actually. I am I'm kind of I'm kind of moving a bit more towards Claire Bishop's. Mm. Um, mm. article actually and initially I was a bit like oh here goes Claire Bishop again wading in it, you know it's an article she's it's a bait piece it's just going to get everyone upset and then actually since since that article I've been like you know maybe she had a point because I've, I've been going to a lot of panels and discussions about you know post-internet aesthetics and it does seem to be like People, the, the work is, is it's just so myopic it's got nothing to do There's with shallowness yeah to yeah the debate, isn't it, yeah just say what her book was. Oh, no, she well, didn't do a bit of article, aren't you? Oh, oh, sorry, she, an article she wrote, sorry. She wrote an article. Because it wasn't in Art Monthly. No, no, it was in Art Forum, the Arch Enemy, <laughs> and it was called... No, uh, no, no, no. No, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> but it's called something like um, The Digital Divide or something. And yeah. I, I, I can't remember the... the, the that's fine, that's yeah. fine. Just so our listeners have an idea, they, yeah, can, look, they can look it up. Yeah. Then. If they don't know what they're talking about, they can't look it up. And she, and she was basically saying... This is going to be reductive again because it was a long time ago that I read it, but she was basically saying, like people in the art world just aren't dealing with the digital. And so loads of people are like, you, no, you've got to go and look at Rhizome, look at all this other stuff that's happening. But I, I think what she, what she was saying did have some currency because it's almost like they're not really dealing with some of the things that the art world might be dealing with, which is a whole raft of subjects. They're kind of dealing with their own specificity as people working with <laughs> the web. I don't know. Yeah. But I don't but think... There, sorry, sorry go, no, go after you. you. Isn't there yeah. a problem as well, that the, the problem that you find and hear about top-tier artists? Yeah. But still in criticism, people only seem to be able to deal with 
top tier artist and what's mm. really going on. It's mm. a broader problem than just the internet art issue. It's yeah. a general problem that people aren't actually going and finding out what's actually going on. Yeah, yeah no, that you know what? And yeah, you put your, that's, you've nailed it basically. Yeah, yeah. And certainly he, he, <laughs> he hasn't. That's why I found this. The the I, I actually uh, downloaded this book mm. and suffered reading it on a uh, on my on my laptop. Um, I I I find it uh, very weak. I think where he's strong is in is his crit against the bank, the uh, the whole business of uh, neoliberal capitalism, mm. monetized, which is you know God, we're all familiar with that about art being an international currency. That part, Sean, the sharp, sharp critique of museums, although I found this lovely note at the end of uh, in his notes, <laughs> which I thought was great, <laughs> where he suddenly says, um, by, yeah, sorry, I'll find it in a minute, where he uh, puts a little note in that the fact that he is actually um, a professor at Harvard and uh, uh, right, yeah. part of the whole establishment yeah. that he's knocking. Yeah, right? yeah, that's it, yeah. But, so what, I'm, what, what really got me was the whole bit about um, format, a word he's picked up from yeah. Pierre Rigue, mm-hmm. and then playing around with it uh, in a loose way with uh, connecting it, obviously, to the whole network notion of relational aesthetics of Bourdieu, who really is uh, Bourdieu, well, for my mind, he's a bit of a wheeler dealer too. And he, in fact, that's where I think uh, Claire, Bish- her Bish- Claire, whatever Claire Bishop, yeah. uh, her critique is sharper mm. than his because she's bringing in politics, which he hardly brings in apart from this neoliberal critique. Yeah. And then he's not giving examples really of the post-internet stuff except the architecture which i found very woolly and yeah that was weird that was a lot a lot of times people tend to tend to do that just they sort of just suddenly chuck architecture into the mix because it's sort of institutionally validated and mm. and like hans orikobras has been doing it for years october loves a bit yeah and october loves it <laughs> but i think you're, you're right i think yeah basically the weakness of it is is that um the artists that he's talking about are uh, people that are always being pulled up into i mean matthew barney's in there i mean i love matthew barney but still you know there's these aren't people who are just talking on the cutting edge of what's going on if there is such a thing um you know there's there's no talk of young artists there's no talk of emerging artists and also it does seem another way of somebody just um like coining a neologism and then you having to come to terms of that neologism and that being part of the book which is kind of irritating so yeah no i don't know it wasn't as amazing in a way it links up with your work because with because through he's not talking about what artists have to do he's talking about critics and he's saying that they need a new methodology to do with deal with post yeah. post yeah. medium critics don't uh, you know uh, and this is another this is another thing i just think you know what i don't know these people always criticize criticism no one's harsh enough well what's going to happen because mm. clement greenberg's not around we don't have any we don't have any authority <laughs> no one listens to us we've got to bring we have to bring johnny now because yeah, his, yeah, his feature yeah. is about yeah about <laughs> art writing but i'd just like to say before you do that I just <laughs> that's like, fine no I, hurry, I just no i always say him have you actually read and what do you read you know who are you reading because i'm reading stuff i'm a massive fan of john douglas miller's work i'm a massive fan of virginia Wilde's work all these people are doing amazing <laughs> critical work and you know you don't read art monthly that's the problem yeah I, you know what people don't read enough art monthly <laughs> so, uh, sorry, go to your window sorry, open it up and say i'm mad as hell i'm not going to take it anymore <laughs> subscribe to art monthly um, it's not in tape today <laughs> yeah What's it again? It was sold out in taste. Well, uh, oh, well, thanks, thanks for that. I'll, I'll get onto that. We'll get onto that. <laughs>
They don't like talking to us on the phone. It's any trouble. We used to have to go in and <laughs> beg them. <laughs> now, John, you you wrote a feature mm -hmm. uh, which was called Art Right, Art Slash Right. I mean, just I mean, we put in the strapline makes a case for contemporary art literature. But mm. but I mean, tell tell us what your I mean, you're a poet. That's one thing, and you do end up at the end talking about poetics mm. as a sort of. Not, I don't know. I won't use the word saviour. But I don't know, you know, you, it's definitely the area you think where there's hope for art, right? But what was the problem? No, I don't know if what, it's what? a case of hope. What it is, is I think that the problem with the whole calling something art writing mm. is that it automatically assumes that writing is the medium. But if writing is the medium, then you need to bring in the critical history of that medium, right? Which never happens in art writing. As far as I'm you mean a reference to its history? Well, no, the, the history of writing. Do you, do you mean? Yeah. How can you avoid this, this sort of? Let's just push that to one side and imagine it doesn't exist. Well, to me, that seems you're missing out on a very rich seam, and it also allows for work to come into being that has no kind of critical purchase by not referring to its its, Sometimes, its history. Yeah. yeah, yeah, or not engaging that history. Yeah, right. Because there were two. There were courses, weren't there? That. The particular one at Goldsmiths, I think it was called that. We don't have to go on about that, but, no. the, you know, <laughs> but it, you know, it got quite established. You know, that, that phrase wasn't just called by one person in, a, in an well, article. I mean, there were courses teaching people art writing. Well, there was there? a course, wasn't there? The, the one at Goldsmiths was the, yeah. the main course. And <clears throat> that's where I would say that the title, that's where the phrase came out of art writing as a kind of coined term came out of that course, I think. Rather, I don't think it was just kind of floating around beforehand. No. The course happened and then the thing, whatever the thing is came out of that right i would say okay just, just, can i just interject because they they i just want to say this because they had this uh, 11 statements of art writing and what the one that i remember was a uh, art writing is in the situation of a fulcrum yes <laughs> sorry i just wanted to say that <laughs> to see how vague opaque that whole thing well opacity was was a phrase you you used did you john in your, your yeah, piece about, about the kind of writing that was that it generated perhaps well what it generated and the discourse around it i i Maybe it's just me, but I could never get any purchase on it. I could never. <laughs> I don't know what is art writing. It remains a mystery. So I mean, basically, what we, what we published in Art Monthly was it wouldn't fit their definition of what of art writing. I don't think so. The, the way they describe it is always as a, a hybrid form of writing about art, writing around art, writing. You know, what does that? Is it writing <laughs> as, as art? Writing as art, yes, exactly. But when was it not? I mean, well, I should say I thought I thought <laughs> I thought you know writing is art, isn't it? I mean, if it's a novel or a. I mean, is that not... Yeah, as far as... Well, that's what I'm... I mean, if it I'm, matters what you call it... When I say way. that it's not engaging that history, then it's not engaging the history of itself as an art form, mm. I don't think, is it? I would say. I, I think it was, like, interesting in the piece when you, you, you drew that comparison um, to music. But but what, mm. you, what you were saying about music was, like, in music, it, it's, like, shorthand for a certain level of complexity in that. Mm. But also, also, I think they use it in a reductive way with, like, Lady Gaga, you know, where it just basically means quirky and you can't really put a value judgment on it because it's art. Mm. And it, that was almost... That was kind of the same thing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, that <laughs> art writing thing. Well, listen, it's just out there and you can't put a judgment on it because it's art writing. Mm. So you, you, because we're not telling you what it is, but hey, who needs definitions? What's your problem? Yeah. It's like, you know, it, it's like psychoanalysis. Like if you've got a problem with it, that just means psychoanalysis yeah. is right. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, like it's all the process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's a bit wriggly. Yeah, well, I think well, I think what the article's about is trying to posit the possibility of a, a term around which there might be able, we might be able to build a kind of critical literature or position on what these kind of expanded writing practices for want of a better term might be 
Right. So why uh, did you choose Osborne to concentrate when who's probably about the most opaque writer <laughs> you could find? Um, well, I think I, I found the book quite convincing, I think. I, I think he, what he does with the contemporary where he says that you have to build the term, I think that's what we need mm. with this. What, I, what I'm offering in the article is something like contemporary art literature or contemporary literature, but I'm continually I'm sort of moving on to thinking that we should call it something like extra literary. Mm. And that we need to build this term out of, in the same way that Osborne does in that book, out of the romantic fragment and <clears throat> sort of the deep history of literature. And, and the, book, the book is called Anywhere or Not at All, Philosophy of Contemporary Art. Mm. And, and Peter Osborne is a philosopher. He is, yeah. As described. Yeah. Sorry, just... So thinking. it sounds to me, because I'm reading that book at the moment, I'm, I'm knee-deep in in two chapters, so it's taken <laughs> me a few months, but... It sounds. It feels to me like he is taking a philosopher's approach. So he's 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 coming. He's got a first principle, and that is to define what contemporary is. And then, is it, like you're writing it. But what what troubled me about that though is this mm. idea that the contemporary is the international. And I thought, whoa, hang on, that's kind of an old idea. And also, the contemporary art is post conceptual, which made me just think, well, we, we, that's a truism. We kind of all know that. Well, it's a truism in the yeah. in the temporal sense, right? I guess. Uh, yeah, yeah. But not necessarily so much in the sense of formal. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And I guess that's where he's coming from. It's not just to say that there is art that comes after conceptualism and therefore it's post-conceptual. I mm. think it's something other than that. But the issue of, of trying to define contemporary has been the one that's been with us since the mid-19th century. Mm. I mean... Which, which nothing... he, you know, he covers yeah. that in the book. Yes, he covers it. Mm. Uh, but it's almost like sometimes I think um, I'm not sure who the philosopher is, but, but um, there's a, you know there's a point before the 20th century where for, I'm not a big philosopher guy, but everyone's like speculating on epistemological spe speculation on what is the nature of reality, <laughs> like how can I say whether this table is in front of me and yeah. will be the same table tomorrow, and if I don't, if I shut my eyes, does the world suddenly disappear? Hmm. And then someone just came along and was like, what is the point <laughs> in speculating about this stuff, like? Let's just live, and then we, ha and then from that we get continental philosophy and all this other stuff. So that's a massive simplification. But sometimes I think this, this worrying about terminology. What is the point in it? You know, okay, the contemporary is there. Let's just move on and talk about the work. So I, I don't know. I don't know if that's me just because I'm two so chapters. It, so in. in this case, talk about the work <laughs> would be. The, the the writing, which is what presumably, I mean, John's, yeah, well, John's, yeah, sorry, yeah, John's done yeah. that, and, is, and yeah, presumably, exactly what he's, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm only surmising, and and then that the found it to be lacking. Yeah. Hmm. So that's, and then out of that, has has decided, well, we need to, uh, well, because they because they kind of define the writing as something. You've got to, you have to therefore presumably redefine it if you're going to say do something. Well, else. I feel that we need a criticism that goes beyond just saying particular things about particular works. Mm -hmm. Otherwise. Can you expand on, on, the, what, on what, I mean, you do in your feature, I know, a, a bit talk about what that might be. Well, I, mean, suppose, I think Osborne is, to some degree, a, a Hegelian, mm. and Hegel says that philosophy is to understand our time and thought. And I suppose, to some degree, what he's trying to do with this articulation of the contemporary, uh, the art that gets into that, his version of what the contemporary is, is the art that I suppose he would imagine allows us in some sense to get a purchase on the present in thought, which is why, for example, rehashes of certain types of formalist painting or whatever wouldn't get into his version of what the contemporary is. And that, to me, seems 
But isn't that, isn't that... Oh, right. Oh, okay, now <laughs> but, I'm but getting sort of in, sense of it. In, yeah. in that example, mm. isn't, going back to what you said earlier, I'm, probably, I'm sure I'm misunderstanding this, but it, that is art which refers back to its history, but, but it's not acceptable. No, well, the way he builds the term, the contemporary, he builds it out of the, from the romantic fragment through various... I mean, he, there was one chapter which I think Morgan will have just finished. On a reading of Kant's aesthetic, and he builds it, builds it up uh, until yeah, it becomes that's a it. strong critical... Yeah, because he's basically saying um, aesthetic is this reductive... Has been misunderstood. Yeah, yeah and whenever when people talk about it, they're always talking about the aesthetic. The, the only issue sometimes I do have with... The, with I mean, I think, it, yeah. I think it's important to say that the book is unashamedly... A philosophy of art. That's why yeah. you're trying to build a contemporary mm. philosophy of art, feeling that there is a lack in that, which I agree with. I think there is a problem yes. with that. And where and he gets, to my mind, close to dealing with it is when he actually talks about the artist and Smithson. Mm. His passages on Smithson are mm. revealing, and that's where I can connect with what he's trying to do mm. but when he's in uh, theory mm. I find it so abstract of course I'm not a philosopher I'm not trained in it mm. that I I find it very hard for wh who is this public aimed at you know obviously mm. art students because he's teaching at Kingston uh, he's mm. also talked at Central recently St. Martin's, St. Martin's. Um, and that uh, it's just I find very uh, complex is the fact that I uh, have been teaching in France for 20 years. I came mm. back and I, to, while I'd been left England, we had the importation of continental philosophy into mm. art schools. And I find it very puzzling how I uh, and confusing how the students take a Korean student is dealing with Deleuze when mm. she hasn't had and not just uh, from Asia but English students have had absolutely no philosophical background mm. in their schooling whereas French kids have. My students in France had all had philosophy and they were used to having philosophy taught in art schools which is mm. now it's sort of ram. I wouldn't want to speak on his behalf no. <laughs> <laughs> but I think he would agree with you yeah. which is why he set up a philosophy department Right, he's, he's never taught in an art school, and I think he would agree that the way, part of the reason that he set up an aesthetics, a course in aesthetics at that university, is because he felt that the way it was being taught in art schools was reductive mm. uh, and instrumentalised as well. Okay, uh, I think, so I, uh, yeah, I think the book John, is not just explain, aimed at art students. Just, just no. explain <laughs> what, what you mean by, 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 by those two, the reductive and... Institutional. Well, yeah, I mean, just in, in what way were, were, were they doing it wrong? Because I, I went through that, became, I want to know. It became kind of theological almost, didn't it? It was like, here's your, here's your bit of Derrida, treat it like the, you know, a theological text and go away and make some work about it. Yeah, yeah. Which is not, which, know, so which is certainly not might end what up illustrating. is interested in. No, 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 I, 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 I mean, that certainly was a lot of illustration of, of stuff yeah, like exactly, that going on so. in, then, that, in that period. Sorry, Morgan. But sometimes, sometimes you think, in some ways, that is... You see, this is the thing. Sometimes that is the relationship that artists have with text, right? Mm. They have this demonstrative relationship. Like, um, is it Dan Graham? Dan Graham read a bit of Lacan, then went a lot and did, went and did loads of work with mirrors in it. Mm. And so you think, well, I don't know, is this always the way? But then, like I was saying about Camille Henrose, like, she digs deep into some um, body of esoteric knowledge that's to do with sort of Egyptology, like creation myths, mm. comes out of a work that then allows people who've read all those philosophical texts to draw on them in, in interpretation. And in some ways I just feel like lumbering artists with all these philosophical texts 
is a bit of a straitjacket and does lead to these sort of reductive literalist interpretations. Um, and whereas I, I think for the critic, it is quite useful. But also, also I, would, I would say that I find it quite frustrating when I read something and I think, wow, my God, I've got to go and read that now. I've got to go and read this book. I've got to read Lacan. When, when can I ever have my own opinion that doesn't have to be backed up by some dead philosopher? what i found most interesting in your text was the liaison with literature and Mm. with music and i think you know that's not happening enough either Mm. with art students i mean i i've bought in anthropology (laughs) she gets it there's hardly any of that either which i think is an easier way in for dialogue with a whole load of issues that are going on in our but certainly, I think art writing, I, I like very much the way you're describing what's lacking in it. And I, that's why I wouldn't dare, I'd never call myself um, art writer. For, I find it, I don't know, perhaps you do, so it's... No, no, I me. don't, no. I, I, no. I, I, and it's even more pretentious, perhaps, to describe myself as an art historian, but that's what my training was, and, mm. and as before that, an artist. So, I mean... I don't get this idea of art writing, really, and I think your analysis is well, can, beginning to... Uh, the, the other week I was talking to someone who's doing an MPhil on art writing, that is the subject of their thesis, and I asked them how they were getting on with their tutor, and we'll name no names here, <laughs> but, their, <laughs> but their tutor had said to them, stay away from literature, it's old and it has a long history. <laughs> and I thought, how, <laughs> how, how are you supposed to create academic work that doesn't even engage in the history of the thing you're meant to be writing about i mean that's you know it's not some sort of fuddy-duddy conservatism it's just a care for actually producing rigorous work i think mm-hmm. and i have to say actually john because i've been following your your writing about this so that's why i was like when i i read it and i thought wow it was round three because I, <laughs> this is like the third part in in a series and i actually think um it's a fantastic job that you do of dissecting this, and I think pro- possibly you might be it's to blame. For, you might be to blame for the dis- dissolution of the Goldsmiths Art Right Department. Let's not but, say that. Let's not say that. But <laughs> I think, in some ways, what you do to me is is actually quite an inspiring form of criticism because I, I can't really codify how you do it, but there's there's a, a rigor about what's being done and what's being said, and 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 a. Um, uh, a consideration over time and an argument over time that seems to build and become more complex. So that that for me is almost like that. That's criticism in action. You know, that's what we can only hope to. to I don't know. I feel like I'm being that's really, that's no, no, very no, being a bit sycophantic. No, 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 I don't mean to be. I'm just, okay, well, let's well, actually go, what go, I feel, go, you know? Let's go to the text. Go to the text because <laughs> yeah. that's what you're just talking about. But you say here, poetics is becoming an increasingly vibrant domain. Philosophically, mm. philosophically, poetry has been privileged over other modes of writing and indeed art since Hegel intended it was the closest form to thought. But w- w- talk about poetics a bit, because we haven't, we haven't really... Mm. Well, but you do end up saying that that is really quite uh, well, the I think, hope, I thought you said Well, that. I think there's been a blooming, especially in the States, not so much here because I think we always mistrust this kind of thing, but there's been a blooming of discourse in the States on around, and I think it's it's... It's kind of running out of steam to some degree now, but around the conceptual writing, which I wrote about before. But it's produced, a great, what I'm kind of arguing for in that, it's produced a very kind of vibrant critical literature around it. Um, and I suppose that's what I'm hoping for art writing. So to, to, we need to look at those people who do that possibly as 
Well, yeah, to look at some of that criticism as well. Yeah. I think it, and I think it engages as well, actually, with some stuff that Morgan was talking about, like the new media and so on, and in quite sophisticated ways through the medium of poetics. <coughs> I think there's far more interesting work going on between poetics and internet art, actually, than there is between the visual art world and you, can you have an example? Well, I mean, That's Ken, a bit cruel. Kenneth Goldsmith's the big one, but there's, you know, many, many others. Right. <laughs> uh, well, it's it's, it's useful, to, useful to give a name, because not everyone, including me, knows... Mm. Well, we're going very well. We've still got a bit of time left. Anybody got any other questions for anybody about their texts? Uh, no, I mean, you, you can ask me about Sevdek if you want. I was going to do that. Yeah. Review of Sevdek. I had, it, I had that thought about ten minutes ago. I'm doing such an interesting discussion, it's slipped away. We're now going to talk about a whole review by Morgan of an artist, which I'm saved by. Uh, Sevdek. Eric. And there's another, just uh, put in a word, because I Would think you? he's very interesting, and I wonder who's bagged it, because I wanted to write on him, the one at Inova, the Turkish artist. Did you? Oh, Burak Della. No, yeah. no, I'm not writing about that. No, no, okay. no. But, yeah, yeah, be Morgan, sorry, you yeah. did write about Sevda, I did write Eric, about and I did plan Eric, us yeah. to talk about it on the programme, so yeah. fire away. All right, well, would you, well you, you got to ask me, I'm not the anchor. No, 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 no. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I don't know, I mean, I can't just go in like that cold no it was in Spike Island <laughs> it was a sound yes <laughs> sound artist yeah. uh, I, I mean you, they would, you, would you call them sound works because I mean yeah uh, yeah okay sorry yeah I should just fine, I should just fine. jump in basically what I yeah. found interesting yeah. too I yeah. read another review is how he's so highly trained in architectural theory and that was linked to yeah yes yeah. well. so basically yeah highly trained in architecture also a musician and I just thought um, one of the amazing things about this show that may not have been what he was after but I thought it was there was this um, dissection I thought of of time time signatures in music and the way that we accept time signatures in music as this sort of benign um, structural format yeah and um, I guess this this put this actually put pay to the argument I just said a minute ago because I actually read quite a lot of philosophical, philosophical texts and that they had a, quite a lot of use in this article specifically um, I think it was Elizabeth Freeman yeah Elizabeth Freeman's book um, uh, I can't remember what it's called now but uh, she had this idea of chrononormativity which is this idea that um, uh, false time or the idea of minutes seconds and hours is this fake man-made construction imposed on human beings in order for us to be regulated and driven towards productivity um, for the for the sake of capitalism now for the sake of neoliberal imperatives. It's a controlling invention. Yeah and I, I was like this is really interesting because it seemed to me that this guy's show was the first time someone actually said look hey hang on a minute let's look at 4-4 time let's look at dance music let's look at this the way that that is structured and the way that is structured in a similar way to this idea of a chrononormativity because essentially when you listen to, to, to dance music it's the same song it's the same song again and again and again and I, it, your, your engineer here is, is, is grimacing his face but especially when you listen to dance music in 4-4 time it is in 4-4 time. Why does music have to be in 4-4 time? There's no reason. There's no reason for that regulatory proposition to say that when you make dance music, it must be in 4-4 time. So it seems to me that that is a reductive um, constriction. That is a kind of prohibition on your creativity, which is the same thing as time when you go into work. You punch in, you punch out. The weekend is the only time that you allow to be free. Now, there's other ways that we can think about this, and I'm not saying that this is exactly right, but it's just interesting to consider it for a moment, and especially to consider the way that... Um, 
time has evolved in electronic music and also the idea that atemporality is still seen as something that's really strange and really divergent and something that we can't get our heads around um, and, and it also made me think of craft work because craft work are, are kind of um, they've been um, you know held up as these the godfathers of dance music and also these like canny performance artists but in some ways their whole thing was about regulation their whole thing was about um uh the, the, you know being machines oh, i and thought so they kind of drew attention to what you're saying in a way though because they exaggerated it so much that you 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 saw that this monotony and factorization of, yeah, of people I mean, in the, what they did in some ways there might have been there might have been a sense of critique I, I don't know. I can't. I, I, I've never really, I've never really felt that what they were doing was this harsh deconstruction of of. You think it was a loving? No, no. I just. <laughs> I don't <laughs> know. I just. I just think sometimes the parody, the parody sort of. It wasn't like a kind of Brechtian deconstruction. It was just this kind of interesting um, parody of um, regulation of life That's or fine. industrial. I... So, but basically, what I'm saying, regardless of their motives, if they're the godfathers of music, this parody that people have then adopted, not as a parody, but as the strictures for making dance music, could be looked at as something that's reductive and is making us feel slightly like. Hey, you know, regulated time is a natural fact. It's a bodily fact. And I was saying, maybe it isn't. And this, is, this exhibition was interesting because it, it was the first time that I thought, hey, maybe this idea is coming out into the open when we can talk about it. Now, I'm not saying this is right, but I'm saying it's an interesting angle to look at music from because in some ways it's, it's just a discourse I haven't seen talked about. And in the show, it, it was just great. I mean, he, the, guy, the guy had... Um, uh, a lot of, sort of speakers um, uh, basically it was like one rhythm track separated in the space so you might have uh, high frequency click clicking noises um, clicking in sixteenths uh, which is, uh, and then you'd have like a, a low pulse uh, clicking at a, a shorter uh, time so maybe in fourth or whatever but as you moved around the space it kind of made one cohesive rhythm and as you moved closer or further away from the pieces, they became, uh, you know, they sort of moved, the sound moved out of phase. So it didn't seem like it was all one. And that made it like a, like I was saying, a kind of spatial architectural concern. And usually these words are kind of bandied about when people talk about things, but you, they never quite come into focus. But in this show, it was really, really fantastic. And it just, it just brought to mind a lot of things that I was reading. Uh, did did it time. sort of present your dissect, a, a, li a, a live dissection of, of music in, in the you could really feel the component parts yeah not so much separately yeah not so much music i should probably just say rhythm so maybe because yeah, music is a bit is, that's a bit hardcore like and I, yeah. I think i'm just talking about rhythm in general so um yeah yeah and also this is definitely my interpretation it's not it's not the artists uh, I, he might have a quite a different view but i found it quite um yeah yeah, it sort of chimed with a lot of things I was, I was thinking about. You sound like you look John, like you're gonna, no, John. I was just... You, you kind of covered yourself by saying you weren't going to talk about music. But, <laughs> <laughs> so I was just thinking that quite a lot of those things are already kind of embedded in certain improv music and, mm. you know, it's the ideas that, I don't know, free jazz, improv, except kind of deal with those ideas of time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I just, yeah, yeah, you're definitely right. Free jazz does deal with that. And I, I remember I was, at a I was at this conference about the future of music and people were, were they were talking about dance music as having a certain futurity, mm. but regulated dance music. And I was like, people never talk, you know, we should be talking about Oteca really as this, 
there's a band, they're an electronic music a band who make really complex music and really deal with a temporality in a in an interesting and sophisticated way. And to me, they always sound like the future. Whereas a quite a lot of say jungle drum and bass um, uh, dubstep sounds like the now. It's that, it always sounds like the present to me somehow. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know if that, that makes sense. It does. I'm does, sort of going off tangents. Yeah. But John, did, sorry. Th- no. Anyway, so we, we 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 it's not. It wasn't music. It wasn't music. We're, 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 uh, Virginia, did you want to ask? I know. Uh, I was just going to say that um, the the link for me to the, both of your observations happens through Cage because I've done. Uh, That's John Cage. Yeah. John. John. <laughs> um, and a uh, very interesting thing I saw last week. Uh, don't know if you went to it. Central St Martins was improvised m- music and play. And there's one uh, young Japanese Rie Nakajima. I don't know if you heard no, of her. No, no. And she does. She calls it, well, of course. I mean, uh, Osborne wouldn't like this sculptural um, sound. Because she was a sculptor, she was trained in sculpture, now she plays with sound in space and she did an amazing performance uh, a few weeks ago and won the Foundation Art Prize for, for it in the south, on the South Bank in the Queen Elizabeth Hall where she just has objects scattered around the hall and then walks between them and sets them off. So you get this incredible sense of sound and spatial... Uh, together with it, which has nothing to do with what you're describing here, but it is playing with space. Yeah, in a and different I, I, way. yeah, that yeah, that does sound that does sound. It definitely does play with space, and I think that was just for me. Like I've, I'd seen quite a lot of pieces like the one you described. Mm. Um, it's not a value judgment on what you're saying, but th- this one was amazing in the way that it just. That it seemed to catch a sense of the kind of paranoia and murkiness that goes with the, some of the things that I was talking about, and I hadn't seen that dealt with. And I mean, and also part part of it has to go with Spike Island. What an amazing space! And the guy just went in confident, you know, like because it's a difficult space to fill, really. Um, but he went in and like um, what I was saying that he did this division of the space as well, which is which is the work above below. Um, uh, or, or alt oost, I think that's how you say it. I'm not sure, but there's like um, this massive scaffold structure, and on one level it's this huge like white space, um, so, so bright. Uh, and then the plywood platform that you're standing on, underneath that, there's this uh, dark space with one LED strip light playing this sort of booming music. And it seemed to me that that seemed to be. Um, if I felt it chimed with this guy's book called Jonathan Crow, it's called Twenty Four Seven, about this idea of dissolution of uh, day and night times. But you just, like said, you, you just said music. Oh, did I? <laughs> no, I have to say yeah. it does sound like the difference. I mean, I was thinking of an artist yeah. called David Cunningham, yeah. who did a show Icon Gallery. Fair enough. I mean, you know, they, he's an artist again where you moved around the space and actually affected the sound that was made. He had a show at Chisnell, same piece, I think. And um, it, the thing is, it, I don't know if it's music or not. Mm. Your one because it had this this rhythm involvement does connect for me to the music outside on the street that you're talking about. So even yeah. if it isn't music, yeah, yeah, it yeah. seems to me that may be why you do actually associate with it uh, in music, in, or just, no, not, not why you associate with it, but it does well, add the musical connection, I think. Yeah, definitely. Because uh, these other people, they don't have rhythm like that. Yeah. But in some ways, you, you know, you just have to be like, um, I don't know, it's this... 
I had an, I had a discussion with someone the other day, and we were talking about music and art, and I was saying oh, I find that art we're much more inclusive. Yeah, it's quite pretentious, but the music world is quite closed off. And she's saying no, music is something that everybody feels they can understand, and you know they can totally associate with, and they've got an opinion. And it's all about, but what sort of music are you talking about, and what level of complexity? And it seems to me that what everybody is into is this similar, this like I'm saying, this four four time that's yeah. been going on forever. <clears throat> How can you, you know, it's kind of interesting to just think of that, like, you know, every It's very time. dominant, it's very dominant. Yeah, but, like, whatever, you know, it's just, it's so interesting that that's, like, a form where that, you know, where, what other art form can you think of something where it's, but the form of it has been re- repeated so much, and that it's kind of acceptable that things just look the same, sound the same? I'd, well, yeah. Let's leave, listen, <laughs> listen, guys, it's, it's been We're really, failing. I've really, <laughs> I'm really grateful to you all coming in to, the, to do the show, I, I've, it's been an honour and a privilege, uh, it was great to have a new guest on, Virginia Wiles, and uh, my name's Matt Hale, and you've been listening to Art Monthly's talk show on Resonance 104.4 FM, and you can subscribe to Art Monthly magazine on www.artmonthly.co.uk. Thank you for listening, good night.